You are listening to KC Sports Network, proudly presented by Emprise Bank. Coming up, the latest episode of Three Mall. Hello and welcome into another edition of Three Mall. I am John Kurtz, joined by Derek Young from K-State Online, Cole Van Beck, uh, former beat writer for the Manhattan Mercury. Look, I'm not going to beat around the bush, man. Last night was a night for the 360 Vodka. It was a night for the Ben Holiday bottled in Bond Bourbon and uh, and lots, lots of it. Uh, I was sitting next to someone who was slamming some, I don't know if it was specifically that, but it should have been, uh, slamming some drinks the entire night, and I was very jealous that uh, that he was and I was not because, my God. But Holiday Distillery, great people. Uh, they've got the 360 Vodka. They've got the Ben Holiday bottled in Bond Bourbon. Uh, they are K-Staters, so go out and support them. They support our pod and our great people. Uh, K-State clobbered at home by Oklahoma, 73-53. to I don't know that I've ever seen a team not score through the first two media timeouts, but I have now. Uh, I witnessed that as K-State did not score a single point um, before the the under-12 media timeout. Finally got a free throw from David Gasson to make it 8-1, to uh, but that was really uh, how most of the night would go was pretty reminiscent of the Nebraska game offensively for the Wildcats. And it was a game that they were a slight favorite in Vegas and one that you felt like they really needed coming off of a two game losing streak and getting clobbered at Houston, uh, on Saturday. So I don't know where, where do we start with this in your eyes, DY? Like we've seen this team have putrid offensive performances before. We know that they're pretty limited offensively, but it usually doesn't look that bad. Uh, it's only the second time this year it has looked that bad. Yeah, th- the problem is that, that it's not an outlier, right? Uh, this has happened before. They actually scored more points in the first half against Oklahoma than they did in the second half against Nebraska. Um, I know that's probably pretty stunning to consider, but they only scored 12 points in the second half against Nebraska. So again, this is not an outlier. There's a few other halves that are pretty much in the same boat as well. And to do it... After two straight losses, to do it in your own building and to do it in a game that matters so much for you in terms of your NCAA tournament resume and where you're positioned in the Big 12 is a bit deflating to consider, to be quite honest. I didn't, I'm not saying they came out flat because I don't think they came out flat, but to come out that struggling that much and looking that less prepared than the opponent was a little bit alarming. I think, um, the coaching, you know, Jerome Tang said in his press conference, I think dream Dallion tweeted it, said this loss is on us. And it's hard to disagree because I thought one team looked a lot more prepared than the other. Um, Jerome Tang just talked about again, uh, missing, shots shots not going in um but felt like they were good looks like i think i would agree with that for the for the most part in the second half i thought they got good looks in the second half because they finally adjusted or figured out whatever what was happening and they got good looks and then at that point they weren't just going in but the first half you'd have to really really convince me to think that a lot of those were good looks because i don't think many of them were at all i didn't think they ran good offense in the first half I mean, the ball stuck. The ball didn't move. Oklahoma kept hedging the high ball screen and doubling, and K-State didn't move the ball quickly enough out of that. And 
dribbled into traps and yeah i mean i it, it, i didn't think it was good offense in the first half i i i think i could probably count on one hand in the first eight to nine minutes of the game the number of good shots that k-state took i mean there were a couple of open looks but it was david gasson from three right and i know david hit a couple of threes against oklahoma state but that's probably not your ideal scenario where he's the one taking the threes. I think Day Day Ames had an open three, but again, Day Day, and look, he can he can make it, but he's he's around twenty five percent on the season from beyond the arc this year. I just didn't think they were able to get into an, an offensive set into their half court offense. Oklahoma had a game plan. Porter Moser had a game plan to attack this K State offense, and the Wildcats didn't have an answer for most of the first half, and they just dug themselves too big of a hole. And I remember, I, I think they'd cut it to 12 with about a minute before half. And I turned to Brody and I'm like, if they can just get it to 10 or under at half, feel feel pretty good with the way they played. And then Oklahoma goes down and back-to-back baskets and goes up 16 and a half. And I know K-State dug their way out and got it to 51 to 44. And they had the crowd into the game as they headed into the under eight media timeout. And he's thought, well, maybe, maybe they can pull this thing off. They're in the double bonus attack. And then they just had an absolutely brutal stretch, a twelve to one run. Then Oklahoma put the game on there. That was the roughest stretch of basketball in a meaningful moment that I can remember, at least under Jerome Tang, because it's fifty one forty four, and you said it. The crowd is into it. The momentum is on your side. You just closed a considerable gap. You, at that point, I thought I'll be honest. I thought Kansas State was going to win the game. At that point, I really did. And then they're down seven. They force two missed threes on contested shots. Great defense. Can't get a rebound. I think you go down and Tyler Perry dribbles it out of bounds. Yeah. They come down and I think you give them uh, uh, another second chance. Yeah. I think you missed layup and it was just a tip in. And you go down there and you turn it over again, I believe. Um and then they come back down, and I think it was a three-point play on a foul. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was three yeah. offensive. Yeah, it was the inbounds pass. They yeah, just inbounds pass. Over, over, yeah. over through the Arthur, inbounds pass to was, nobody. Yeah, Arthur Kaluma just threw the inbounds pass to nobody in the middle of the floor. That that was I, I literally I turned to my buddy Steve at the time. I know that I was like, that's the worst stretch of basketball they played all season, and it came at the moment when you, I mean, they had to because the shots aren't falling. Like they put so much effort over the course of, of the first, like, 11 minutes of the half to, like, get to that point where they're even within shouting distance. And they they literally, they just threw it away in the span of about, I mean, not even game time, like a minute and a half real time. Just completely threw it away, and then it was gone. I mean, that was it. That was your fleeting chance at it. I wouldn't have said that at the time that I thought they were going to win the game, but at that time I thought, okay, we're going to have a, we're going to have a close game down the stretch. Like, they're going to be in this down the stretch. And it was... I mean, I've got it pulled up here. You've got, yes, uh, miss three, offensive rebound, miss three, offensive rebound, OU scores. Tyler Perry, turnover. OU missed layup, offensive rebound, score. Kaluma throws the inbounds pass away. OU misses a shot, gets an offensive rebound, and scores. And then Arthur Kaluma turns it over again. And then there was a foul on Arthur Kaluma. That was the stretch. So Yeah, it's, uh, to use a phrase that, people use in those moments when you feel like you're you're right there and you have a chance they it really felt like they literally peed down their leg like in that moment and that was you know crushing to watch and I just 
I guess I didn't expect that to ever f- have some of those types of feelings for a team coach by Jerome Tang. And it just has me a little stuck in, in what to feel about this team right now. And, and you know, it's a soul-searching moment. Maybe they can pull their pull out of it. We'll see. I just, it doesn't feel good right now. And I, I'm at a loss for words about the way that they performed in that game. I mean, they've lost by 20, by about 20 points at home twice this season. And to not to, I was going to say, and this is, yeah, the point I, I shout out to fan fan made this point. It's not, it wasn't Houston or Kansas at home that they lost those games to by 20. It was Nebraska and Oklahoma. Now, if this were 1973 and we were talking about the game being played at KSU stadium and football, that's fine. This is basketball in the year of our Lord, 2023. Like that's, it's not good to be losing by 20 to Nebraska and Oklahoma. I, that's probably not really fair. Oklahoma's a, at least a, a decent team and Nebraska's, you know, they're fine. They've got well, a- I mean, Nebraska. Yeah. I mean, Nebraska beat Purdue. I think Nebraska's a fringe NCAA tournament team. Oklahoma will probably make the NCAA tournament. I don't think there's, unless yeah, they melt, I mean, unless they, but, but you still, you're to your point, like, this is a this is a program under Jerome Tang heading into this year that lost one game at home last year and it was a three point loss to a top ten Texas team that was in the Elite Eight where they blew a big lead and then they've been good at home for the most part this year except then you got the Nebraska game and you got this game against Oklahoma you can't be you can't be losing games to those teams by fifteen plus and not really feeling competitive for much of the game that's that was disheartening uh, there just weren't a lot of answers for it and look I could find. If I wanted to look look for optimism, I could look to last year and I could and I know it's a completely different team. I could say in late January to mid February last year, they lost four or five games and there was a stretch they lost at Texas Tech and at Oklahoma on the road, including a 14 point loss at OU that they were getting blown out at at one point in the second half to two teams that didn't even play in the postseason. So there was a stretch last year similar to this timeline of when this occurred. You had Marquise Noel and Keontae Johnson, and I don't. There's not the star power to pull you out of that. They won four in a row after that stretch. That's so, like, I I could say like, go to Stillwater, win the game, flush this one, and then you got KU on Monday, and do you just pull everything together and have one heck of a night? Well, then you forget about this game against Oklahoma. But right now, it's hard to see in the immediate. Yeah, I was gonna say the the difference is being those games were on the road. Even if you, if they would have lost to. Oklahoma on the road by this much, I don't think I would bat an eye too much. And like you said, some of that star power, I think you had a little bit more trust in that particular group to turn it around. And and I just, I'm not there with this one, to be quite honest. And part of it too, and I, and I realized maybe they felt the game was already away from them, but the the moment that they felt like the players on the floor conceded, not Jerome Tang, but the moment that the players on the floor conceded seemed a little too early for my liking of where their head space is at as well. Because I really felt, and you could tell me if I'm wrong, but I really felt like the body language and the spirit took a gigantic shift with even just five minutes left in the game. And that was also troubling for me to watch. Well, it was really after that that twelve to one run that we just talked about. I mean, that was around the six minute mark in the game, and like I said, I think a lot of that has to be you're expending so much effort to get back into it, and then it just poof is gone. And I, I think that had to be 
pretty disheartening. And to the point about overall, yeah, I mean, Cole, the thing is why this this hurts. And I think saying, hey, it's at home and not on the road definitely makes a difference. But it's it's also because you don't have the star power. And because of that, we, we just haven't seen like the super high highs this year. You know, it feels like they had been just barely getting by, kind of like hanging on, you know, hanging on to like a tournament worthy resume um, by finding a way to pull that Baylor game out of the fire, which is a hell of an accomplishment. And I'm not I'm not trying to run that down, but we already felt like they were really overachieving in a lot of ways with the start that they had better than the sum of their parts. And like looking at the roster, like, I don't know how they're doing this. Like this roster doesn't seem like it's good enough to to be winning for the first five in big 12 play. And now it's like, okay, they were just kind of barely skirting by. Now it feels like this is almost more of like a drop back to reality. I don't think they're this bad. Don't get me wrong. I don't think they're this bad at all. And I don't think they will continue to play this poorly. Um, but we have not seen on the other end the really high highs. The performances like a Texas or a Baylor last year that really reinforced to you, like, okay, no, this team could absolutely go win on any given night. You just don't have that confidence in in where this roster is at right now. And look, a lot of it is, I mean, they've been through a lot of adversity, and we talked about it a bunch. I know I don't want to keep hammering Naquan Tomlin and Quez Glover at this point in the season because it is what it is, but that that is a part of it. They're very limited. Um, but I guess I, I use that to to set up the conversation about the offense because I do want to talk more about the offense uh, but we'll do that after we tell you about our friends at Homefield Apparel uh, if you want 15% off your first order make sure to use promo code 3 23 at homefieldapparel.com of course Homefield Apparel is your spot for the best K-State gear around they've got 40 plus selections there lots of old school logos uh, great way to get your K-State threads at Bramlage Coliseum or wherever you're going to be rocking your cat's gear They've also got 100-plus other teams if you would prefer to indulge in that way as well. It is, uh, sincerely, one of the best places, the most popular places right now uh, to get your collegiate apparel at homefieldapparel.com. Promo code 3 23 for 15% off, and we're back in just a moment. We appreciate you supporting KC Sports Network by listening to our podcast. You have helped us become the highest-ranked Chiefs podcast network in 2022 and 2023. And don't forget about our daily Substack newsletter, the best written analysis you can find on the Chiefs straight to your inbox every day. kcsn.substack.com We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. I think it was Chris on our Discord. And if you want to be a part of the Discord, it is uh, patreon.com slash 3 by the way. Five bucks a month and really cool community of folks that we have there. Basically a big uh, group chat on the Discord. And Chris, I know, mentioned like, hey, with the team as limited as they are offensively, maybe like one out of every eight to nine games, you're just going to get a game like this. That that may be an inevitability of the roster. I, I do think there there may be something to that. But overall with the offense, like, is there something that can be done? Clearly they were much better in the second half, and I got to give credit to Tyler Perry because he continued to, to fight his ass off and, and put up 23 points in the game after he got really harassed in the first half. Um, and I know he's a guy that's taken a lot of heat, so I, I do want to recognize what he did. He seemed to be trying to almost single-handedly will K-State back into that game in the second half. But they clearly have a lot of limitations. Like, Perry is trying his best at point guard, but it's a lot on his shoulders. I don't think it's really his natural skill set. He doesn't have he doesn't have great size, and he doesn't have great, like, explosiveness. And, uh, you know, maybe I shouldn't say athleticism, but explosiveness. He doesn't have the explosiveness to get around people and get by people and he doesn't have the size you know to be able to to really function in a lot of ways there too so it's tough on him and it it takes away from what he can do shooting the ball and then you you don't have really anybody maybe cam to an extent but you don't have anybody that you can just kind of throw the ball to when the shot clock's winding down things haven't gone well and say like hey go make a play and when you don't have those two things i mean it's it really forces you to be very reliant on ball movement and making sure that that's all working well and moving it around and getting guys open that way and there are just times that it breaks down and you, it just seems like there are no answers anywhere. You know, I mean, you can bring guys off the bench and it just felt like last night there there were no answers coming anywhere. So my question to you guys would be like, is what options do you have coaching-wise in those scenarios? Because I know there's so much frustration with the offense, but is it just that this team has the limitations that they have or is it you got to do something coaching-wise to draw up more sets, change the offense a little bit. I know Cole and I were talking a little bit the other day about when Rad Underwood magically went to the pinwheel offense in a Frank Martin season that kind of saved the season, pulled it out of the fire. I, is there something else that that you can do uh, offensively from a coaching standpoint to try and make that better? I don't know. I'm just, I'm not like the basketball, I'll, I'll admittedly not like a basketball savant when it comes to a lot of these X's and O's, so I'm not going to pretend to dig into the weeds of that what i will say is i i realize that there's probably you know some ounces of execution that are impacting this and and not getting exactly what they want from their guys when they throw them on the floor at times i get that but it goes back to me hearing like you know i thought they were good shots and not not necessarily agreeing like he could be right and i and i could be totally wrong i'm talking about coach Tate. Yeah, he's he knows a lot more about basketball than than I ever will, and he's a hell of a coach that and in in about every single way. But for me, watching that first half and seeing just the few amount of good looks that they were able to create for any of their big three, it's not like you only have one guy. You you got three, and I think Arthur Kaluma had one or two good looks, heck, he airballed one. So that goes back to the ex- execution part of it. But I don't remember a good look for Tyler Perry in the first half. 
And I don't remember a good look for Cam in the first half. I think he went to the basket a couple times where he maybe should have finished. I think he didn't get a call one time where he should have got a call. But just like really open looks from the outside for these three, I don't remember that many. I remember a couple for Kaluma, and he was totally off, so it didn't really matter. But I don't remember a ton for the other guys. And, and Cam was off too. I think he was, what, one of 12 from the three-point line, something like that? So, so like I like I go back to it. Some of it is execution and and missing shots, but some of it's not getting good looks. I mean, last year you had two guys. I know there's Desi too, but it just felt like the looks were still better then. Even so, I just struggle with the kind of shots that they are getting because if you said we got good shots and you're talking about threes for David Gasson, like Cole alluded to, then or Dede Ames. Then I struggle with that because good shots for this offense is just a little bit of space for Arthur Kaluma, for Ken Carter, for Tyler Perry. And to go almost an entire half where you could probably count those on one hand just doesn't feel right to me. Um, that That's not enough. So I don't know where I stand on it. It could be a spacing issue. And if it's a spacing issue, should you not play two bigs as much? I think those are all things that have to be considered. Yeah, I mean, look, Carter and Kaluma combined to go 3 of 20 from the floor, 0 of 10 from 3, score 9 points. So two of your big three do that. Tyler Perry had 23 points. He made seven field goals. He made 16 field goals as a team. So the other nine guys combined for nine made field goal attempts in the game. That's not going to get it done. And, you know, when I watch this offense, I I feel like it's too much dribbling. The ball doesn't move enough. Um, I watch other teams. The ball's moving a lot more. It's out in and out of the hands. Like I'm not a basketball savant to where I'm gonna you know be able to tell Jerome Tang or this staff anything that they don't already know. They're they're far wiser to me, like UD wide than uh, you know. I, I think Jerome Tang and the staff they're all great coaches, so I have a lot of trust in them. But you know, I do think back to the John. I think it was before the game last night. Actually, you called me on the drive to Manhattan that we were talking about when Frank Martin transitioned to the pinch post offense with Brad Underwood into the 2010-11 season, and I covered that team. I had to I had to go back and just find the timeline of when that happened. Uh, and uh, Frank Martin says, quote, I didn't like the direction we were headed. Um, and uh, he talked about, let's see, about the time we played Colorado on January 12th, our offense had become bogged down and was a slightly different roster than we started the season with. We weren't as effective as we thought, and they made the transition. Well, it's not the same roster you thought you were going to start the year with, right? When they went to this five-out offense, uh, K-State's lost Quez Glover. They've lost Naquan Tomlin. Um, you know, that 2010-11 Frank Martin coach team lost, I believe, Wally Judge and Freddie Espria. Uh, and obviously, Espria wasn't as good as they had thought, but, you know, they adjusted. And and so do they re-examine the five-out with this roster and try to make an in-season adjustment? It's not easy to do, but at this point, it may be necessary. K-State's 158th now in the country in Ken Palm. Uh, now, I went back because I was interested in how this stacked up to past years, like the Bruce Weber last couple of years, and it's still a decent amount better than those last couple of seasons under Bruce offensively, and that's not to drag Bruce Weber. I was just interested in the comparison. But they they got to get better on the offensive end of the floor because it's putting so much pressure on their defense uh, that they got to be perfect on that end of the floor to hang in games and I know they pride themselves on being a great elite a defensive team but when the shots aren't falling you're not running good offense it becomes harder to play good defense not only from a mental standpoint and 
and all that. But teams, when when you miss shots, teams can get out and run more, and they can you it's it's harder to get into your half court set defense. And so good offense can lead to good defense. And right now, K State's not uh, not having a good time on the offensive end. It was the second worst efficiency performance of the year next to Nebraska on the offensive end of the floor. No surprise there. Well, and you know some of this may be when we talk about if there if there are going to be adjustments to the offense, whatever it is. I mean, this is these are lessons that Jerome Tang is learning as a head coach. You know, I mean, he had a phenomenal first year. I think we all believe in him and as, as an excellent coach. You can see all the attributes that make him just an outstanding coach with a really high ceiling. I mean, I think he's got an in- incredibly high ceiling as a coach. But we all may have, you know, bought into like, hey, last year was so magical and amazing, like. There, there are never going to be real, real significant bumps in the road. And like, hey, this guy is a second year head coach. Like there are there are lessons that you're going to have to learn that I think are inevitable. And, you know, you may not be able to to just skip some of those steps the way that we would like to, especially when there have been so many things outside of the control of this staff this year that have happened to to hurt what it is that they have to work with. So I think there's some of that, too, you know, and I do. I know we talked a, a little bit about this last time, but I do wonder if there there has just also been too much going on outside of what's actually on the basketball court this year, and and particularly obviously lately with everything that happened at Iowa State, uh, the comments that Jerome Tang seemingly now has has walked back a little bit about um, the officiating the other night um, at, at Houston in a game that you know was not very close there, and he gets a technical at the end. He had back to back games with a technical. Um, lots of focus on officiating what's going on with Iowa State and just like things that are, again, kind of outside of your control. I just wonder aloud if there is some frustration that has built that has put too much of the focus on some of that as opposed to like, hey, we, we just got to be above this and, and win basketball games. Now, again, I'm not a coach. I have no idea what those specific lessons are, what they look like. Um, but I can tell you again, like patreon.com slash streama, like talking to Fran Fraschilla the other day, both on and, and off air. You know, I think that was kind of the message that I got. Like he said on air, like I think Jerome Tang's a phenomenal coach. He's going to have a lot of success, but there are some lessons that you have to learn as as a head coach. And I I just I feel like there's probably a lot of that going on right now. And I I still wouldn't put it past him at all to come out on the other side and have a really hot finish to the season after figuring some things out this year because I believe that much in in his coaching ability. But I think we may just be seeing uh, some of the growing pains of of a guy who is still a relatively new head coach in the in the game of high level college basketball yeah i don't i hot finish is not off the, the table and until they turn is certainly not off the table um and i trust in their coaching enough to think that this will get corrected to an extent to make those things a reality but in the current moment i do think this team is in great need of some composure and Hopefully, we start to see a little bit more of that moving forward. Yeah. It's going to be uh, interesting to watch how they bounce back from this uh, really tough three-game stretch. So, there's going to be some adversity to deal with, and uh, we'll we'll learn a lot about this team in Stillwater on Saturday and what is a, a very winnable game, a uh, game that you have to have. If you don't win in Stillwater, the NCAA tournament becomes an incredibly difficult outlook to try to figure out a path to getting there. So. Yeah. It becomes pretty bleak at that moment. You're going to be playing in a very dull atmosphere. From what I've been told, the way that it looks like in Stillwater right now, 
is even dramatically worse than the last few years from an attendance perspective. So you're going to play in front of like next to nobody on Saturday, to be quite honest. I was yeah. I was watching them play TCU DY last week and they maybe had three thousand people there. Yeah. I mean they're they completely checked out under Mike Boynton and understandably so. But there's some challenges that come with that when you're used to playing in front of raucous nine, ten thousand crowd. So they'll have to make that adjustment as well. But you said it. Uh, this is a key moment for Kansas State, almost because you now have already coughed up that one on the win on the on at home. Sorry, you've kind of forced yourself into a little bit of a must-win thing with KU on Monday too. Just because you can't be given away that many games on the road, and if you do get that one away, then what? You got to go undefeated at home the rest of the way, and the pressure gets ratcheted up even further. So you've by doing what you did against Oklahoma you put a little bit more pressure on yourself for that KU game. Not that that's the way they look at it, but the way that we look at it from a you know attorney perspective. And I'll say this, and this isn't meant as a slight or a jab at anyone, but the way that that game ended in Oklahoma and it being the second time that it felt that way with Nebraska being the first, they're probably a little fortunate that now they have a winnable game on Saturday and that it is the KU game on Monday because those types of feelings and performances sometimes just not only, I mean, I hate saying this, but you know, some fans check out when that stuff happens, but you kind of avoid that because you have a very winnable game immediately afterwards, followed by a game that everyone's going to come to no matter what, if you're one in 18, right? So you got that working for you. And if you do take care of business and word to somehow and come out of that, 2-0, then you don't really lose that support the way you probably could have after this Oklahoma game. Look, I I watched, I was in attendance of that KU game, John, when uh, Nigel Johnson went off for 20, 20 plus and beat KU, a top 10 team that year that was completely unexpected out of nowhere. And this team's better than that, obviously. DY, were you on the beat by then? I don't think you were yet, no. Uh, So, yeah, I'm not going to, you know. It was like five years before UI was here. Yeah, I will oh, say it was like 15 or 16. I guess it was, say, it was it was 14 15. That was the that was the Marcus Foster lit with Randolph disaster blow everything up year. <laughs> that was that year. So I mean oh, yeah. yeah I will to, say to, that, to that point to that in Cole that, that team did have a decent amount of talent on it. It was just a complete shit show with everything that was happening behind the scenes. But yes. I will say that they didn't finish it out, so none none of this really matters. But it probably would have been a similar feeling to the one where one of Bruce's final years, they almost beat KU at home when Nigel Pack had that explosive first half. Yeah, I mean, look, you win at Oklahoma State, even if you lose to KU, and then I know I think you go to BYU that following Saturday. Look, that sounds brutal, but you lose to KU, to your point, BYU, if you do win out at home after that, you're going to make the tournament. Because that means quad one wins over BYU, Iowa State. Yeah, but at this yeah. point, like some of those TCU, some of those, yeah, yes. But some of those teams are just as good as KU or better. To be honest, yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not saying they. You would put an immense amount of pressure on yourself to probably have to win all those games. And, and, yeah, and considering the crowd support that you're going to have for that game, considering what I think of the KU right now, and maybe they'll snap out of it too, like. Call me crazy, but like that game's just as winnable as maybe like Iowa State at home this year, I think. Yeah. 
I, I think it's hard to argue with that right now because there's not the same mental edge that Kansas used to have coming into that building uh, because you beat you've beaten them enough times now. Tang beat them last year. So, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think you have to treat them more like your typical just run-of-the-mill upper echelon Big 12 team yeah. as opposed to uh, putting them on a pedestal. So, yeah, I think all that's that's fair, and I think your point about the way the schedule breaks is is another very good point, and especially if Bryce Thompson is going to be injured for Oklahoma State, which we were just learning about from our, our uh, producer, Nick, as we hopped on here because none of us got a chance to see KU Oklahoma State last night. That'll help out too, and that again adds to the urgency of like this is a game that you do need to win. But I mean, the tough part about it is like we, you know, we think about this stretch being a three-game losing skid. But which, by the way, pointed out by I believe it was Parker in our Discord that K State has not led a basketball game in 120 minutes, which is obviously not great. And then even before that, Oklahoma State led for what felt like a vast majority of that game, certainly late first half into the second half. And you barely pulled it out of the fire in Manhattan. So it's it's been a stretch here of really not not playing very good basketball for two weeks. And that was an Oklahoma State team that you don't feel like is very good. And that game was in Bramlage. And it really took, like, the crowd. You know, we talked about that after the game. It was the crowd. Once K-State finally was able to get in front, Oklahoma State kind of wilted under the pressure and the crowd got to them. And that was what helped turn the tide there. Well, you're not going to have that. Now, Oklahoma State may not have the advantage on the other side to be able to flip it there with, with 3,000 fans. But you're not going to have the boost that you got from the home crowd that, I mean, I think we could all agree if that game were in Stillwater that they and it played out virtually the same way, they may not win that the first time around. So that that's the concern, I guess, point being going into this. You, you certainly can't take it for granted that they're, they're going to roll it in there and win the game. John, let's go to Stillwater. Bryce Thompson, did we mention him yet? The may not play? Yeah, yeah, he, he, he's not, yeah, not going to play. So that's significant. I, I, excuse me. I, I obviously was at the Oklahoma State game last year where the Kansas State win, won, um, pretty good win at the time. K State had a lot of fans there. That's why I, that's, that's why, that's why I said, John, let's go down to Stillwater. Just take it in. It, it's actually, and it, to be honest, it's just because of the time of the game. I think it's at one o'clock. Yeah. You don't, you don't even need a hotel. You can just drive there and back. Yeah. yeah. Here's the, here's the, uh, take Bobby, yeah, here, here's the update on Bryce Thompson. He obviously went down. Nick let us know this, so we looked into it. Uh, he uh, he hurt his right shoulder. Uh, x-rays were negative on fractures, but they're going to get him an MRI to see the exact severity of the damage. It was his right shoulder, so shooting. And uh, Bill Self actually said after the game, quote, and I guess Bryce did dis- dislocate his shoulder, and they had a hard time getting it back in place, but they did. So uh, assuming that's the case, he was in a sling on the bench. It's hard to see him playing three days later so i'm not even not even you know criticizing bill self but i laugh at that that bill self gave like this such a (laughs) a injury report of the other team yeah he just yeah he gives the more descriptive report than than anything boynton was gonna say and i'm sure he was concerned i mean bryce thompson started his career at kansas and probably asked boynton for an update and and gave it away so yeah that that was just funny to me yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) so yeah they're I would, and Bryce Thompson is nearly 12 points per game. He's their second leading scorer. He's their most experienced guard by far. Feels like he's been in the Big 12 forever at this point. You lose him, they have one guy that averages double figures, and that's Javon Small. So you have to win this game. Uh, geez, they only have one guy that'll be on the floor that's averaging double figures. Yeah, they're, they're, they're already a young team. I mean, I was saying 
combine that with the way Kansas State's going, this could be a first to fifty. Yeah, yeah, you have to you have to win this game, especially without Bryce Thompson, presumably. So great, great analysis, Cole. You have to win this game. <laughs> yeah. Well, and uh, John, you asked here. Said that, I said that about the Oklahoma game at home. I'll be honest. Yeah, John, that was a must win to me. John, you asked about never seeing the media timeout thing, two media timeouts without a field goal. So I went back and uh, remember that Georgia game in what, 2014 or 15 in Bramlage? Oh. Uh, the New, New Year's Eve? Yeah. Yeah. They had 12 yeah. points in halftime. Okay. I remember being, uh, I watched that game at uh, from the Riverwalk in San Antonio because K State was getting ready yeah. to play the uh, Alamo Bowl. Alamo Bowl. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, they were down 20 to 12 at half. Uh, but they did not go the first two media timeouts without a field goal. They had, I think, like four at the at the under 12, but still. And this, this one, if I, I think I wrote it somewhere. I think last night, K-State at three at the under eight. It sounds about right. I mean, they, it, what, took nine and a half minutes to get a field goal? Um, and even that was a tough, like David Gasson had to just kind of throw it up. And the first point was a free throw. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it just, uh, I don't know. Any, I thought Jarrell Colbert showed some more flashes again last night on the defense, especially. But the, the you know, that 51 44 stretch that we just hammered? The offensive rebounds were on him. Well, one one was, right? The other, Dorian Fenister gave up an offensive rebound to his guy on a putback. Yeah, but the, the two off the three pointers. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, Will McNair got benched like four different times last night. Like he got, he got yanked off the floor every time he got put in within one minute because he wasn't getting the defensive board or playing defense. So, yeah. I mean, that was a tough thing. You know, when we talk about like personnel limitations, I already outlined things in the backcourt, but then yeah, too, like they kept trying to go back to McNair and it just was not a night where that was going to work. And I'm I, DY, do you remember what Tang, Tang had a quote about it in the post game? That was just like, he wasn't he locked said, in. He wasn't there. He said he wasn't locked in. Um, he wasn't there with us tonight, and then that's what it was. There with us tonight, yeah. Yeah, he wasn't locked in. He wasn't there with us tonight, and then immediately after that, he said, "And that's on me. That's not on Will." Well, and as a result of that, Oklahoma only played John Hoogley. They're they're larger, big. Who's not quite as mobile. They only played him eight minutes, and uh, he's their fifth leading scorer. Uh, so you know they didn't have him on the floor as much. And look, if you would have told me that Hoogley. Owe and Uzan would combine for six points total on two of 17 shooting. I want to say KZ would have won that game handily. I mean, those are three of their top five scorers and they combined for six points. But yeah. Jaylen, then, then I tell you the, the shooting numbers from Cam and Kaluma and you would probably have the opposite. Right? Yes, exactly. I would. Uh, you know, and K State goes four and 28 from three. And it's just, it's disappointing because, you know, now you've got. So many examples against Miami, they were 4 of 28 from 3. Against Nebraska, they were 4 of 30 from 3. USC, 8 of 33. North Alabama, 3 of 18 from 3. And now this team is 30.8% from beyond the arc on the season, 289th in the country in three-point shooting. And as a KSU underscore fan pointed out to us, it's they're on pace for the fourth worst shooting performance from three in school history right now yeah here, here's the problem i'm kind of going over this in my head a little bit um tyler perry basically has no chance right if cam and kaluba are going and because if, if the defense doesn't have to worry about cam carter or kaluba and you can put two on the ball like like tang said 
Perry's just not one. He doesn't have the size to beat that. Probably not going to have the athleticism to beat that. There's not a whole lot that he can do, and he still pulled stuff out of his butt last night. I'll be honest. So I'm just going to say, like he, he still, I, I give him credit because yeah, that was exactly the situation he faced but, last night, and he he fought his his ass off to to score still. Yeah, because here's the thing: people said, "Well, then don't don't screen for him because then you're you're bringing that double to him." Okay, you put him alone. He's he, you know, he most guys need a screen to get an open look. He's not going to be able to get too many open looks without a screen. So there's a dilemma there. Cole, any thoughts on the work of uh, Jeb Hartness, Marcus Pettigrew, and Brooks Wells uh, last night? Your your officiating crew. They were uh, look. To be honest, considering what what we have, and I'm sorry to butt in our goal. I just want to kind of put my considering what we have seen in Kent State games, like the last three or four. I thought that group was fine. Yes, I don't. I don't have any. I, I'm not saying I had like a huge issue with anything. K State was not playing well enough for that to affect much of anything at all. This I just feel like this should be like basically a a, a staple, you know, a show sure, staple. Yeah. We go to we go to Cole for the for the ref report, you know, and it was Jeff Artis, Marcus Pettigrew, and Brooks Wells. Somebody even came up with the the name for it on our Discord, right? They called it like something with the whistle or something. Yeah. Oh, blow I'm the whistle. Yeah, blow the whistle. Blow the whistle, named after the the classic two short song. So yes, all right, Cole, blow the whistle. Uh, what's what's the report card on uh, good old Jeb Brooks and uh, Marcus? I, be I was right next to him in the the courtside seats, and uh, I liked Marcus Pettigrew. That guy was cool. I liked him. See, positive positivity. Look, officials have a hard job to do. So, <laughs> it's it's hard. Outside, you're, you're, you're saying Gary Maxwell's job is hard. Look, I, I'm just here so I don't get fined. So, uh, look, let's just the Big Twelve has come down on me since wishing an injury upon Gary Maxwell. I was going to say, you, you really the for the first official blow the whistle segment, you're really. I'm, I'm being I'm being held more accountable than Gary Maxwell is by the Big Twelve office. I've been reprimanded for wishing a pulled hamstring on Gary. So uh, no, I am not. But but look. Uh, okay here's the thing like and this is this game this game was not decided at all by the officiating what what i was gonna say like one of the problems for k-state right now on the defensive end of the floor i pulled up to to bart torvik and was looking at their numbers and their opponents in each of the last three games have a free throw rate of over 60 or higher well going into this last three game stretch the highest free throw rate a k-state opponent had this year was 47 uh, Oklahoma had a free throw rate of 72.2 last night, which was the second highest mark of the entire season. Iowa State was a 76. So K-State had been really good at not putting teams on the foul line. In the last three games, Iowa State shot 39, Houston shot 34, and then Oklahoma shot 39 last night. So K-State's putting teams on the, the foul line far too much. Now they're fortunate that Oklahoma, State, Oklahoma shot it so poorly from the free throw line, or it could have been much worse, but you know, they, they got to stop putting guys on the foul line so much. And, you know, there's definitely been some missed calls there. But again, officials, they just have a they have a hard job to do. I think Jeb Hartness sucks. But uh, I thought Marcus was uh, Marcus Pettigrew was pretty good. Brooks Wells, you know, is. Uh, Brooks Wells is Brooks Wells. So um, he, he officiated the game in 2021 against Kansas and Manhattan. 
uh, when K-State jumped out by 18 to 20 point lead, Nigel Pack couldn't miss. And uh, Bill Self went to, to good old Brooksy. And, you know, there were a lot of ticky-tack calls after that. But the, the officials, obviously, I didn't cost K-State the game. No. What, what I will say is one of my actual problems, though, was, and may, maybe it was rightfully so, just there were so many fouls called. And, I mean, 64 free throws in the game. Yeah, that's the thing. There's so many fouls called, but then you got a football game against Houston on Saturday and, and down there. Like, there's, there's just no consistency game to game on how it's going to be called like, yeah you, you go into each game and you have no idea how these guys are going to call the game because it's just being enforced consistently inconsistently by each varying crew so yeah look i, I don't i don't want to become the guy that just always bitches about officiating to be honest so i'm going to take a step back well you you don't want to become that guy i i don't i don't want to be that guy anymore Okay. Okay. I think there's a. I think there's a few things that we should probably mention, or at least tie a bow on before finishing up. I don't think that you've mentioned it, Kurtz. I know you've mentioned it to us before the show more than once. Kansas State hasn't led for 120 minutes, right? I did mention. I did mention it. It got worked in there. Yeah. 120 straight minutes uh, without a lead. But thanks for re-emphasizing it, D.Y. I'm, it's good to hear. <laughs> I mean, I, I, well, I think it's kind of important. I know, I know. I, I can't say did not shoot well, obviously. Oklahoma did not either, technically. Now, from the field, not too bad. They were 43%. Oklahoma was 3 of 14 for the three-point line. Kansas State made more threes than Oklahoma. <laughs> so that's kind of a stutter. I will say Kansas State was very consistent. They were 2 of 14 from the three-point line in both halves. I think part of the problem, D.Y., is in case they made more threes, but they attempted twice as many. I mean, you shot you shot 28 to their 14. They were getting the ball inside. No, I don't. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't. I'm just saying, like, that's that illustrates part of the problem right there. I mean, K-State is 30.8% from three on the year, but they shot 28 threes. That's too many threes for a team that can't shoot it very well from three. Well, yes. So, but that just means you have to get to the rim more, and they're not in the most conducive to getting to the rim at all times. So you got to you got to do one or the other. I mean, do you want Tyler Perry shooting a three, or do you want Tyler Perry going to the rim? Yeah. I mean, shit, take your poison. Another thing, um, and this has kind of been a trend, I think, for the last two or three weeks, which kind of goes to show you. I mean, Jerome Tang is insistent upon this, so I'm confident that he's telling it. Like it is that this team is a much better shooting team in practice, and for some reason, just not translating to the game. But their free throw percentages have been just worsening as well. I mean, even Tyler Perry missed two more last night. That was surprising. Yeah, I mean, look, none of the trends seem seem very good right now. Um, are we are we tired of Porter Mosier? Curious for a cold opinion on. Uh, well, I'm on not Porter Porter Moser sucks. <laughs> not, I'm not a saying of it. Now, now he, I think he's a good coach. I just don't like him. I can't stand watching that guy, man. He paces up and down at 100 miles per hour. He's uh, yeah, dude. You, you watch that guy in game coaching; it'll stress you out. Just yeah, because how stressed he looks. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, <laughs> that I was right across the way from him. I watched him. I watched him the entire game, and I even. Uh, Cole, I even got, I went to go to the restroom and the, you know, the one 
the two single stall bathrooms that exist in all of the lower level of Bramlage Coliseum. And I got caught like right as I walked literally right next to Border Mosier into the tunnel. And then they turned the corner, you know, the media room and the bathrooms are right there. And I got the entire Oklahoma celebration. Like the second Porter Mosier turned, it was like this, you know, everybody was going, going totally nuts and yelling and screaming. And, uh, so I got to hear like the entire, uh, Oklahoma celebration, which actually like was, was fine. It was nothing that I'm not about to say here. It's like, Oh, you know, but like, no, it was pretty standard fare, but I'm just saying I got to hear Porter Mosier screaming, screaming like a little girl there when he, when he turned the corner with everybody. So and my, and my last final note of, uh, of the show is stop giving John Kurtz courtside seats. Oh yeah. That's, that is, that is over because like, he got courtside seats for Nebraska and Oklahoma. Like do not do it again. DY I predict, I, I told him when it was six to nothing last night, I got bad vibes and I said, you get up and get to your regular seats. The right first opposite of performances under Jerome Tang have come when John Kurtz sits courtside. I have to put up, put him at, in the nosebleed section. I have to say, like, honestly, like, I found myself genuinely blaming John last night. Like, I kept seeing him on TV, and I kept getting I kept getting angrier as he just kept sitting there. And I kept, I was like, that shot didn't go in because John Kurtz is sitting right there. I was getting so he did, mad. He did, he did take accountability at halftime. He, he, John came up to me and said, this what's on me. And he could have still left. He could have moved. I don't went back to his original seat. Look, I, I'm... I don't want to like put it all on John, but I mean, really, like at this point, we've got too large of a sample size 46 and 51. Two worst and offensive well, efficiencies. And two of the worst halves 19 in the first, 12 in the second. Well, spin zone here, Cole. You could have been with me courtside. They, the seats were essentially offered to both of us. So if you could have found a babysitter, then you could have been there too and totally changed the vibes of everything because you sat there for the Baylor game. So I would actually throw some of this back on you. Uh, yeah, for guilt, guilt, guilt trip. Yeah, you know, guilt trip. The single father this week with three kids, or all alone trying to take care of my family. It also sounds like he's blaming the mother of your child for not being at home. Well, I didn't do that. Cole did that on the phone when I talked to him. But that was... <laughs> I don't think Vanessa will watch this edition of Three Mom. Actually, watch. This will be the one time she tunes in. So uh, she'll tune in on her flight home from Chicago today. Uh, yeah. So definitely, definitely nobody tweet Vanessa Mamba. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, don't 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 let her know. So, uh, yeah, we did not. I did not make it last night. Uh, unfortunately, that that's actually the first Big Twelve game I've missed in the Jerome Tang era. So, Big Twelve home game. I just, just want to say that I tried to do my part, okay? Because I did get eventually the officials' names all down because I didn't recognize any of them. Um, after a while, I was like, okay, I think I've seen Brooks Wells and Pet the Grew. I don't think I've ever seen that Jeb dude who who was the worst of the three for sure. Uh, but dude, I the beginning of the second half when they when K State was Oklahoma was already in the bonus by the first media timeout, and uh, Marcus, it was Marcus, it was the cool one. Uh, he was standing over by us, and I relentlessly during that media timeout let him know that Oklahoma was in the bonus by the first media timeout, which seems ridiculous. And then immediately, bang bang, K State got two calls from Marcus Pettigrew right as the action started. So I did my part. All right. I tried. 
I also got Jeb to glare at me because I was making fun of his name a little bit. So I feel like I did some pretty good work there. I I tried to give my best effort. And Jerome Tang on postgame said he apologizes to the fans because the fans were excellent. And I'd have to think that a part of that was my effort included in that. So I think even Jerome Tang praised my efforts afterwards. Well, every time I saw you on TV, I saw your head down or I saw your head. Yeah, there were doing that. The Cole, I got to be honest. There were a lot of these. <laughs> I think I did. I think I did that a few times too. What What I will say is, Jerome Tang did applaud the fans. I I'll applaud the fans for as brutal of a watch as that certainly was, especially in the first half. That was a very engaged crowd until the you know the the breaking point fifty one forty four to get a twelve one run. That was a good crowd, and they. It didn't have a lot of reason to be a good crowd, but for some reason it was up until when Oklahoma finally created the last bit of separation. You guys have been in my house. I was I was watching the game in the basement. The the girls and the kids' bedrooms is up on the second level, so it's two floors apart. And at one point in the first half, my twin girls both came down to the basement. I already put them to bed, and they both came down and they started crying and said, "Daddy, why are you yelling so loud?" <laughs> And I was like, you right. really, really don't want Vanessa to watch this shit. Yeah. <laughs> so I had to take him back up to bed. I was like, next media timeout, going back to bed, right? Everything's fine in the man back household. Everyone's composed. Everything's fine. We'll move on. We'll, we'll go to Stillwater, beat Oklahoma State, be five and four in the league, and, uh, you know, play KU. Or, or K-State will hit a buzzer beater. Uh, that'll get waved off, and everybody will feel down in the dumps. And then and on then Big Dorian, Monday, Dorian Finister drops thirty-eight right on Kansas on Monday. It would yeah, seem more likely. It would probably seem more likely to put the thirty-eight with Cam or Kaluma or you know because it was Jacob Poling that scored the thirty-eight. Um, but you're going with the wild card. I see. So, who would it be? Who would be the most likely to pop for thirty-eight? Can. I almost feel like I almost feel like, but Tyler can get so hot from three. I almost feel like it would be like Tyler Perry just hits like ten threes. You saying Nigel Pack two thousand twenty one performance coming yeah. in is varying yeah. three after three. Let's actually finish the game. No. Okay. Had to go negative town. Dy. Oh, we lost that game. So. <laughs> oh man, what what banter these last fifteen minutes? I don't even know what how we well, like. We Man, I mean, the first half of the show, you know, the first 30 minutes of the show was all, you know, it's not super fun to talk about. We needed a little, little release. <laughs> we got to throw it away. Just like football. Okay. Yeah. I thought I was going to get out of this show without anybody mentioning where I sat and the correlation there. And I almost did. If it wasn't for you meddling kids. Uh, thanks to our friends at uh, Home Field Apparel. Thanks to our friends at Holiday Distillery. We appreciate Nick Springer doing his work behind the scenes. For Derek Young and Cole Manbeck, I'm John Kurtz. Thanks for listening. Take care, and we'll talk to you on the next edition of 3 Ball. Thank you for listening to KC Sports Network. We appreciate your support. Don't forget to hit that follow button and leave us a review if you like what you heard. You can find all six of our channels covering the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting KC, and the KC Current, plus KU, K-State, or Mizzou by searching KCSN wherever you listen to podcasts. We're also on YouTube. Entertain. Educate. Inform. KC Sports Network.